2020, right? It has been a insane year, right? We've got COVID. Uh, we've got all sorts of health issues. We've got economical issues. We've got civil unrest. Uh, we're realizing that a lot of the people that we thought were great weren't. <laughs> um, and and then there's also the forest fires, right? The world is burning. And every day we wake up and our phone will ring or our phone will buzz and we'll get an alert. And there's something else that is changing. We're dealing with the consequences of greed and the inability to look into the future and avoid pitfalls, regardless to if we're warned about them. And so maybe it's because we've been locked down. Maybe it's because our lives have slowed down a bit. Maybe it's because we're all depressed or hyper aware. Maybe it's because we're all plugged in to the same dopamine delivery devices. But it seems like it's a struggle every day not to get upset, not to get stressed, and not to freak the fuck out that the world is burning. I'm in a unique position with this podcast. For some reason, people think it's legitimate. <laughs> so I'm able to get folks on this show that can give us insight. Insight into how their business works, insight into what their daily life is like. And most of the time, I'm doing it for fun, right? Most of the time, I'm trying to teach you guys about what it's like to be in the movie business, what it's like to say goodbye to the nine to five job and chase your dreams. And a lot of us are very fortunate to be able to do that. A lot of us are in positions where they either have family support or, supports from, or support from friends or have had opportunities granted to them to be able to chase their dreams, to be able to push for this. Now, some folks, their dreams are a lot different than ours. Some people grow up and they look and they see these huge fire engines. They see helicopters and teams of heroes, teams of people that are saving other people and seemingly selflessly saving other people, which is insane to me. Because being a cynical East Coaster, most of the time when I'm thinking about other folks, it's always, what are you getting out of this? Why are you doing this? What do you, what do you expect from this? And obviously you're doing this for money, right? There's got to be some sort of reward here. But when you look at the jobs of firefighters or EMTs or the people that work for your community, the jobs are often underappreciated, underfinanced, and a lot of the time your ass is on the line, right? So why in your mind would you ever want to do these jobs? And I was, I'm very curious about it. I've got family members that are firefighters and I got family members that, uh, that do these jobs. And I always ask them like, why, why the fuck are you doing this? It just seems like a relentless, it's relentless on your body. It's relentless on your psyche. Every time I get the same response because I love it. I love helping people. I want to help people. There's something so great about being able to protect the people that you love, protect the communities that you love. Overwhelmingly, 
I always hear that response from anybody that decides to do these jobs. So it's fascinating to me when you're watching stuff on television and you're watching the president of the United States essentially say that the reason why the world is burning is because these people aren't doing their job. That there aren't people out there clearing the forests and doing controlled burns and doing all this stuff. And then when you have, when you talk to these folks that are trying to do that sort of thing, they go, yeah, but it costs money. I am more than willing to give you my time and to do this stuff, but the resources cost money for this. And so for our leaders to make such a uneducated, bullshit fucking statement without really looking into it, like, you know, he doesn't know shit about it. <laughs> Come on. He doesn't know anything. Like, the only time Trump's ever been around a fire. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> Let's be real. I'm sure it was some sort of insurance claim. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on. You know, and so the danger is that a lot of us that are consuming our news right now and that are looking for answers are doing it lazily, right? And look, I, I don't blame you. There's so much that we need to worry about right now. There are so many things that are important, right? And so to do the research takes time. And a lot of people don't have time. Some of us do. Some of us have too much time because we're sitting around waiting for our lives to kick back in. But a lot of folks don't. A lot of people are working hard to support for their families. And when they finish that work, which is usually countless hours that are underpaid, the last thing they want to do is come home and start to scour the internet to look for actual information on how shit's really done. I get it. I totally get it. But that's what I'm going to try to do for you today. Today, I realized that it was partly, I think I have a bit of a responsibility here to do some episodes on this show that shed some light on how jobs are really done. And yes, this isn't part of the film industry. Yes, this isn't part of the entertainment industry. And one would say that these aren't artists. But I will say this, a lot of what these guys do, a lot of their methods and processes parallel to a lot of what we do for film crews and film teams. And I would also say that I understand the exhaustion to a certain extent, not physically, but mentally understand the exhaustion when we're working on film stuff. And we do long runs, long periods of, of time. Do you know that a firefighter generally works two to three 24 hour shifts in a row? Like let that sink in. We're talking about a 24 hour shift, a second 24 hour shift, and a third 24 hour shift. These guys do them in a row. And then you're like, okay, but they have all that other time off. Most of these guys will take that rest of the week and work their second job because they're oftentimes not making enough money. So they'll either be contractors or construction guys or landscapers. And a lot of the time, a lot, most of these firefighters are volunteering. They're joining different units. They're going out and, and helping during other crises. If there's a flood, if there's a hurricane, if there's a forest fire, these people are volunteering and they're on a volunteer list to be flown to take care of that stuff. It's insane to me. 
So I'm excited about today's episode. I was able to get uh, an amazing battalion chief uh, from uh, Cal Fire out here in California. His name is Justin Silvera, and uh, he's coming on the show, and he's going to tell us about what it's like to fight a forest fire in real life, guys. What he has seen in his experiences that spread fires faster. There's a lot of really fascinating stuff that he's witnessed, on the ground witnessed, um, that I can't wait for you guys to hear. And I hope that listening to this show gives you a greater appreciation for what it takes to fight a fire. Because the reality of the scenario is this. <laughs> I, I can't even believe I have to say it. Climate change is real, right? At what fucking point did we all decide that science wasn't real? <laughs> At what point did we decide that it's all make-believe? Is it because we're dealing with the repercussions of what we've done over the past 100 years, 200 years? Is it because it oftentimes feels like it's beyond our control? Is it safer to believe that science isn't real? Is it safer to believe that climate change isn't happening? Is it safer to believe that you don't need a mask to fight this stuff? And if you look at this from a psychological point of view, and by no means am I a fucking educated <laughs> psychologist or scientist, I'm barely a person that can formulate sentences. I just know how to talk to people and I know what I see. And I know and appreciate the experiences that folks have. So when I go to make my decisions on things, I tend not to listen to the propaganda from both sides, because it's ridiculous right now. The pendulum is swinging so hard in either direction, and so you get ridiculous statements like, we need to be out there sweeping up the forest because trees are, trees are exploding from one end of it. And then you have the other side saying, well, this person's an ecological arsonist. What the fuck? What the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Maybe we should, instead of fueling this crap, instead of fueling these dopamine fucking rages that we love to go on, maybe you should sit down and talk to a firefighter, right? Maybe you should sit down and actually talk to the people that do these jobs. Not to put them on a pedestal, not to give them, I would say give them more resources, but just to understand understand the reality of how stuff's done because these guys deal with it every day i can't wait for you guys to learn the stuff that i've learned so far and as always thank you for following me on instagram at mike petchy on instagram or following the podcast that's in love with the process pod it's in love with the process pod on instagram uh there you guys have been giving me a lot of suggestions on guests for the show and i told you that this season's gonna get weird man I'm going to be doing all sorts of different guests from all sorts of different walks of life. Uh, I'm very happy with how this show is is expanding. We're getting we're getting out. We're getting so far away from those gear shows that I can't stand. And we're going into how life and how people do things. It's really cool, and I hope you guys are enjoying this transition as much as I am. Um, <clears throat> so, without further ado. 
Let's get right to it, shall we? Grab those noise-canceling headphones, find a comfy seat in your safe homes, and go for a ride with us. Jump on in to the back of the truck as we drive you to a raging fire on In Love With The Process. Justin, thanks for taking the time to be on the show, dude. Of course, anytime. I'm very excited about uh, having you on the show today. I'm very excited about getting into um, the California fires and the and, and what it's like to be a firefighter. Um, I am living out here in Los Angeles myself now, and so this year has been pretty rough as far as like air quality is concerned. And and I just I realized that I knew very little about what it is that. Uh, you guys do and how fires are fought and most of the information that we get is put through the hype political machine so i really wanted to get some folks on the show uh to talk about you know what it is that you guys really do you know what i mean cool yeah so let's do a little bit of history first um how did you get into why firefighting like why did you decide to do this job uh well actually goes goes back quite a ways. Um, when I was a kid, um, I lived with my mom, a uh, single mom. We lived in Paradise, California, and my front yard was the Paradise Station 1. And so <laughs> at the age of uh, six, I grew up there, and the guys there really uh, took me on as uh, you know, part of the crew. I mean, I think I got to do some things that, that a lot of people don't get a, get a chance to do um, I, I literally was a part of the crew to where I could walk into the station any time of the day. Um, I walked through the at bay that, you know, had the ladder truck and the engines. I'd go get my mail. I'd, I'd check the mail. I'd cut, take a shortcut through the at bay. Um, <laughs> and then the guys would, you know, they'd hook up the hose, let me spray the water, let me climb the ladder. Um, you know, I remember, uh, one of my coolest moments or memories was, uh, my cousin was visiting and they took a photo of us together. I still have that photo and they put, uh, any piece of structure gear they could fit on us, the jacket, the, the BA, the mask, I mean, everything. And we're, we're, we can barely hold this stuff on and we got this cool photo. And, and so it really, I guess, started there, you know, um, they just, they really took me in as one of their own. And it was, it was, it was pretty cool to be a part of that. I remember being a kid and how infatuated, uh, I was with, uh, uh, like fire engines and firefighting. It's, it was such like a, it, it was such a romantic sort of hero job. Um, and uh, my brother and I were very much infatuated with that stuff growing up. And then he ended up becoming a firefighter, I think ultimately because of that interest that he had. Um, because it is like, 
I mean, you're driving around these huge trucks and you're running sirens and like you're the people that people call when someone's in trouble or you, you run into a fire. It's very heroic stuff from the outside. Um, as you get into that, as you decided to take that path, did it feel the same way as you started to, to become a firefighter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in the, in the beginning, um, I've been doing this 23 years. So I started, I started volunteering when I was 19 mm. and, uh, I remember, I knew I wanted to work for Cal fire early on. Um, geez, I think I was, I think I was 12 and I saw, um, one of the helicopters for hell attack, but that has the crew. <laughs> um, that I, that I got to be a part of later on in my career. I got to do that for four and a half years, which was amazing. Wow. Uh, but when I saw that, that's when I knew what department or where I was like, I want to go work for Cal fire. I saw the copter and it was like, that's, that's it. So, uh, at, at 19, I started volunteering at a County station, um, up in Miguelia above paradise. And, uh, that, that captain who took me under his wing, uh, really, um, was rough. Um, and, and a lot of people sometimes had uh, rough interactions with him, but for whatever reason, we hit it off immediately. We're still great friends. He's retired now, but I just remember, you know, stepping in and his first question was, you know, what are you going to do for me? Why, why do you, why do you want to be a volunteer? And, uh, you know, ultimately I wanted to be a volunteer to, to try to get experience and to get out of the department. Um, and then it's immediately after he realized, well, I also it's because I want to help people. I want to make a difference in a positive, in a positive way. You know, mm-hmm. um, when we get called, uh, a lot of people, that's their, their worst moment or one of their worst times. And they're just looking for someone to, to help alleviate or help, help stop what's happening. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's that initial gut instinct is I just want to, you know, you just want to help. It's such a, it's such an admirable instinct to have. I think a lot of people take that for granted that <laughs> people aren't calling you guys to come over and have a bunch of cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? You guys are, <laughs> you guys are always getting the call from the worst case scenario. Um, and uh, like I said, my brother became a firefighter and there was a, a brief period of time where I was, because uh, I'm a director, so I, I was writing a script about it and uh, I was able to go do a 24-hour ride-along with his department. And it was just eye-opening and just astounding at what a daily routine is like for paramedics and for firefighters and the amount of hours that are put into it. Just, I I remember vividly, you know, sleeping in the station and having, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, having lights blast in in your face and then you're jumping into a truck. Like, I barely know who I am at that point. I'm jumping into a truck and you're driving down a dark road that is being lit by like strobes. And you're racing to help somebody, to save somebody's life. Uh, it's very uncanny. It's very surreal. And this is the type of stuff that you guys do regularly. This is, you know, average week for you, correct? Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's what you say. That's what the job is, you know. Um, yeah, that's the job. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what, a, what an easy way to put it. <laughs> so as you, <clears throat> so you decided to get in, so you started to volunteer and then you ended up uh, in a department and then, uh uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I've started, I volunteered. And then as I was volunteering, you know, um, you do, I would do sleeper shifts where, um, you know, it's volunteer, so it's free, mm-hmm. but one of as much experience as I could get. So I was working full time 
at a local hardware store. And on my evenings, I went to the station. And then on my days off, I'd work like a 24-hour shift or, you know, anytime I could get on the engine, um, I, I was on it. Mm-hmm. I remember drawing a diagram of, of each engine, each resource that, you know, because you have uh, different types. You got an engine, uh, water tenders, uh, squads. They all have different types of uh, equipment for, for what type of call you go to. And so I had drawn out diagrams of every compartment and labeled them so I could memorize, you know, what each thing was. And uh, again, that station, <laughs> the guys really took me in um, and, and were, you know, on their lunch breaks or in the evening when they're exhausted from running calls on this new you know, excited, uh, trying to be a cadet to learn, <laughs> asking questions. And they're probably thinking, dude, I just want to sit down and take a break. But they didn't. They, uh, they answered every question I had and, and, you know, went into, you know, fire academies and training. And, and from there, yeah, it, uh, I was fortunate to get on with Cal Fire at, at 20. So um, I got on fairly young, fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been with the department since. What was it what was it like the first time? What was it like the first time running into a structure that is just covered with smoke that's on fire? Like what are you feeling the first time you go in? Uh, the very first time, um, well, I mean, of course, that's why you train uh, throwing your air, your BA, your air pack. Um, all that stuff just becomes muscle memory because uh, you really aren't thinking at that moment. You know, you're, you're, you're amped. You're, you're, you're so stressed on just trying to get to the right address, trying to find the right house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course it's like, well, it's on fire. You go to that one, but getting <laughs> to that house, you know, turning down the street, um, that's not a cul-de-sac or, or not making the right, it's a lane instead of a, an avenue, you know, knowing um, which one to go that right there. Is, is the amount of stress you get just from that. And let's say that's daytime. Maybe it's, it's nighttime, but that first time, yeah, you, you roll up, you see the fire rolling and you're like, okay, I got to grab a hydrant. You know, you grab, you grab your hydrant to supply water. Mm-hmm. Um, and our staffing was minimal. We were two Oh. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I gotta, I gotta grab the hydrant and I gotta run back to the engine, which is a thousand feet away, throw my pack on now and then try to do a quick walk around of the house. And then, force entry into the door um, and then pull the hose lay the line into the structure and then hopefully make it find the seat of the fire. Now I'm not, I'm in a house that I don't know. The smoke's mm-hmm. banked down to the, almost to the floor. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, when, when that first fire, you're not, you're not thinking about how to control your breathing. Uh, there's a lot of things you're not thinking. I'm trying to remember how to uh, open, open the hose, how to, how to spray the <laughs> nozzle. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's that archaic where you're just like having to think about the simplest things. Um, but it's that huge amount of stress, you know? Um, but yeah, I remember rolling up, everyone's frantic, screaming. Uh, you know, my first question is, Hey, is there anyone in the house? Mm-hmm. And luckily they're like, Nope, nobody's here. So you're like, okay, that, that knocks it down a notch for, for stress. You're like, okay, uh, now we just got to put out the fire. Um, and then the amount of fatigue, I mean, uh, Within that first five minutes, the amount of fatigue that sets in, um, the energy that you exert, I mean, exhaustion is already kicking in. It's like, you know, so you're, you're 15, 20 minutes into this and I'm already thinking, what am I doing? I am exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, dude, I can imagine. I mean, just training your body to do what naturally it doesn't want to do. Like naturally as human beings, we see fire and we see heat and we're like, we're bolting in the other direction, you know, like just getting to that point psychologically where, you know, you're managing all this stress and you're, you're like you said, you're falling back on your training, but then there's still that point when you, it must be insane when you go into the house and it's so easy to get turned around because you can't see anything, right? And then, you, like you said, you're in a stranger's place and you're you're trying to figure out what's safe and what's not safe and where this fire's uh, starting. It's it's insane, dude. It's It's got to be the most intense thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when I when I started, we our staffing levels were, were they're not great now, but they were, you know, you you were we were just starting to do the two in two out. So you were not before when I first started. You didn't have you could enter a building mm-hmm. with just myself and my partner, you know. And luckily, you know, usually my partner's running the the pump, and he's yelling to me. So I'm still going in alone, <laughs> waiting for that next engine to show up. Of course, now nowadays. Um, I joke as I'm becoming older, you know, though you can't do that. You have to wait. You have to have two people ready to go inside the structure and two people on the outside ready to help you in case something goes wrong. Mm. So back, back then, yes, you're by yourself. So you didn't, I didn't have that person behind me to be like, Hey, is this good? Is this right? Am I, you know, you're by yourself just thinking, okay, I think it's down this hall. I'm going to keep going and you're pulling hose, you know, and then you see, see my captain poke his head in. Like, all right, I know where the house is, the doorway. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 you know, so, so that first time it's just, it was me entering by myself and just hopefully like, I just want to knock this down. I want to do a good job. I don't want to screw up. Um, and I want to put this fire out. Nice, man. And <clears throat> so then after, after you did it, right. So you, you finished the gig, um, or you finish the fire and you end up, you know, disrobing, getting rid of all your clothes, you go back to the station. What's that? Is it just an exhaustive dump? Do you just pass out? <laughs> like what happens after? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, as time goes on, you know, like you said, your body's not trained. And then as, as you go through different experiences, different things with the, with types of calls, the things that you do, uh, what may have blew you out before doesn't now your body, you know how to maybe not push as hard for that one moment or. Your body just knows how to recover because uh, you've done it before. You're used to it. So, yeah, that first one, I was completely blowed out, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if we had another structure or anything major that night, <laughs> I would have done it. But, I mean, it would have been hard. Like, the fatigue was just, you're just exhausted. You just want to sleep. Uh, after that, adrenaline uh, wears off. Um, that in its own uh, is exhausting, you know, Um and yeah, and now it's late at night. I just remember, yeah, I just wanted to, and you got to clean everything. You don't just get to show up back at the house, high five, and uh, <laughs> right, and, and you, you know, have a good dinner and you're ready. No, I got to put everything back in service. So you got to clean everything, you got to wash everything, you got to reload all the hose, uh, and then we still have to make something to eat, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, then you get to shower. So I mean, that's yeah. I remember just being. That was probably the long, the long end of it. Yes, completely exhausted and just wanting to go to sleep, but you couldn't go to sleep because you had to keep, you had to get everything back in order for the next call. It's insane to me. I like as my brother started to go through the process of being a firefighter, I learned more and more about it, and um, I had no idea that most staff, most most firefighters will do long shifts, and I had no idea how long a lot of the shifts are. It's like. 24 hour shifts, right? Like what is a normal uh, shift for a firefighter? So, uh, 
It depends on the department, but for us with Cal Fire, we work uh, 72 hours straight. So it's three 24-hour shifts. Wow. Uh, back to back, you know, and and of course, you know, some days um, you might get a few calls, and then other days you might be slammed the entire day and night just running calls. Um, so wow. yeah, you run, you do that, and then when we have our fires, like we do now. Um, uh, I want to say a couple weeks ago, I just got done working 47 days straight. Jesus. Um, and that's not going home, seeing my wife. Um, we were gone for 47 days on the fire, you know, and you're working 24. So you get 24 on and then you get, you're, you're, you call it a 24 down, but honestly it's probably more like 14 hours down. Once you get done mm-hmm. getting all your, all your equipment back on the engine, ready to go for that next, that next 24 hour shift. Um, and then, that one that we were on in Santa Cruz, uh, we worked about 70, 72 hours straight before we had any rest. Um, and that's because, uh, we were evacuating people trying to save structures, um, and just a complete chaos, you know? Well, what was, so explain to the audience, what was this Santa Cruz fire? Uh, so Santa Cruz, um, this was a, I think a time kind of like you kind of lose time. Um, it was probably two months ago, a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when all we had a huge lightning siege through pretty much the state of California. And so a couple areas got hit really hard, and Santa Cruz was one of those areas. So we were in an area um, called Big Basin. There was a Big Basin State Park. Mm-hmm. And that was the oldest state park, or I should say is, um, the building no longer. Um, but it was the oldest building of a state park. Um, in our, in our state, um, history. Um, so yeah, so we got in, we got into this, uh, into Santa Cruz and they had at the time, I think they had, they had known like 15 fires and then it predicted, I think there was like 40 that were in that were, we didn't have people on. And so, you know, you go to the ones where there's houses, uh, and you start to attack that fire and then you'll start to see other ones pop up and grow. And so, um, after that first 24 hour shift, um, cause we drove all night to get there. You know, we left, I think, uh, it was like nine o'clock at night. We got, we got into Santa Cruz, um, from where my station is in Humboldt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was 3am. So you get about an hour of sleep in the parking lot and then you're ready to go. And Jeez. so we did our first 24 hour shift from there. Jesus. You know, we're unfamiliar with the area. Uh, we don't know where we're at. Uh, we're not sure. We're not even sure where all the fires are at. And so we get, we get through that first 24 and then, um, we get to go to a hotel to try to rest. And I think we were there for maybe two hours and then we got ripped out of our hotel. And that's when, um, it was called Boulder Creek, uh, the town of Boulder Creek, big basin park, all that blew up that night. And so they were doing evacuations and that, um, I remember driving in that night again, cause you know, not familiar. It's like nine o'clock at night now it's pitch black. Mm-hmm. I had that first reminiscent idea of when I drove into the campfire it was that same, um, obviously not nearly as devastating or bad, but just how all the evacuation, all the traffic was coming out one way. Um, it kind of gives you that heightened sense of I've seen this before, you know, and you kind of, mm-hmm. you kind of get that gut, gut wrenching, like how's tonight going to go? You know, I remember joking to my, had a firefighter with me, um, joking to him, like, this is great for PTSD, you know? And we just laughed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah it, you know you just you have those certain uh, gut checks i guess um 
so that's how we started. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean to ramble. That's how we started into the, into Santa Cruz that night. And yep. then, uh, we got, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not meeting face to face cause it's, it's just chaotic. And so the division, a division runs like a geographical area. Yep. I'm supposed to report to him. We can't get on the radios. He's just like, Hey, go up to this place. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to miss it. And you're just like, we have no maps. You're just like, yeah, I hope, hope we find it. You know, we have our phones to look at maps, but we don't have any local maps. Um, yeah. 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 So we make our way into this park. And then, uh, that night we actually ended up getting trapped in there for a couple hours. You, uh, okay. So hold on. So <laughs> <laughs> let me just catch the audience up. So there was a, a bunch of lightning storms. So lightning struck out in the wilderness of this park. Is that where it started or did it start like in a structure uh, in the park? No. So lightning struck throughout the area of, we'll say Santa Cruz, okay. Santa Cruz, you know, the, the city, the county, that whole area um, got hammered with lightning. And so did Southern California, Northern California. But some areas, the fire stays smaller. They're single trees. Mm-hmm. Santa Cruz, because of the winds that, that, that week, those fires started to take off. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. And so a lightning strikes in this area. And then, um, you know, we're talking about uh, there being a lot of like dry brush and a lot of dry stuff that in the combination of that and the wind just sort of picks it up and, and, and turns it into a blaze at that point. Correct. 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 And then for Santa Cruz, uh, it's not common, um, to get a lot of lightning fires. You might get some lightning, but it's not common to have the fires that we had to that extent. How come? Like what, what, what do you think the difference was? Why do you think there well, was the difference? The difference, uh, would be the, um, the vegetation. Like, so it's, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, redwood trees. It's, um, it's got a large canopy that covers everything. It's, it's, uh, coastal. So you get a lot of, uh, um, influence from, um, from the, you know, from the ocean, it's humid. Mm-hmm. All those things are factors. Um, so typically, and like we were even being told, you know, Oh, don't worry. Redwoods never burn or they don't burn bad. Well, because of uh, where we're at now, um, call it what you want with, with uh, climate change or global warming or what we're, we are seeing a change in how our fires react, obviously. I mean, mm. 20 years ago, a large fire would have been a one-time 20,000-acre fire for the season. And that was like, dude, that was crazy. Yeah. And now, we're, now we get, I think when we were in Santa Cruz, we had four separate areas of California, all with over a hundred thousand acre fires burning. I mean, it's crazy. that's unheard of. That's unheard of. And that's like normal now. It's insane, dude. And and so we'll get back to the Santa Cruz thing, but let's just dig a little bit deeper into here because as average Joe asshole, right? As average Joe citizen here, we just hear stuff that we get from the news. And so people are like, climate change is changing this. Climate change is is, is what's affecting all these things. But I guess we don't know the details. And this is why I'm fascinated with, with having you on the show. Like you, you're on the line, you specifically see this stuff. So when people say climate change, is it just because you have a lot more dry kindling at that point because of the climate change? Like, what are you specifically seeing differently? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's so many different factors and of course it's going to, you know, you may talk to someone else and they're going to be like, it's totally bogus, man. But, uh, from, from I'll go off of just what my experience is from seeing what, what the fires were when I started yep. and where we're at now. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the dense vegetation, um, 
is, is dry. We have drought. Um, we don't have the weather patterns or the rain that we used to get mm-hmm. or that we haven't gotten. I mean, shoot, I think in California, we had a, like a seven year drought and that's when, when things were getting, we thought things were getting bad because they were, yeah. and that would have been, you know, 2000, the start of like 2014, maybe 15, we started seeing these larger fires, you know, where you were going into, you know, I think in 2016, we had Napa, we had all the fires, uh, and then 2017, again, Napa had a bunch of fires. And then 2017, we had the Thomas down in, in uh, Natura. I mean, mm-hmm. all these fires are just blown up. And then, you know, uh, like the, like typically um, a season in Northern California, even, even middle to Northern California, the season would be, you could say, June to October. You made it to October, you had to worry about going down to L.A. for the Santa Ana winds, Southern California. Yeah. Once you made it to like the first week of November, second week, season was done. You were like, we made it. We're good to go. <laughs> right. And, and that's not the case. A season now, I mean, you look at the campfire, that was November. And that and that thing burned within twenty four hours. I, I couldn't even remember. It was it was it was outrageous. Uh, tens of thousands of acres. Uh, burned an entire town down. In November, you know, the, the Thomas before that was December. And we're having fires now when typically we're like, oh, winter's here. We don't have to worry about it. And, and stuff is so dry. Um, it's just, it's like kindling, like you said, it just burns. And then we used to worry about, we call the Santa Ana winds down south. Yep. And now, um, and this is not scientific, this is just my, my own view. It's, it looks like we are getting what we call a north wind now. In, in November. And so uh, in November, even right now, we have uh, we pr- have strategically placed engines in case of these wind events that we get. So now you got PG&E doing their power safety public shutoffs mm-hmm. um, because of the winds, because the power lines and if something breaks, you know, snaps, starts a fire. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have these north winds before in late October and November. It was down south that had the winds. And the last like three years... October, November, I'm no longer so worried about going down to Southern California. I'm worried about what's going to happen in my backyard in Northern California. And and that wind is a new, or at least we're recognizing as a characteristic that's happening now routinely. That was not happening when I was with the department when I started. Fascinating. So I hope you guys have been enjoying this episode uh, and learning a lot about uh, fires. And uh, I just want to take a second to uh, really give a shout out and a thanks to Cal Fire. Uh, We've been getting support from Local 2881 out here, uh, and they have been more than happy uh, hooking me up with firefighters and professionals uh, to teach me. Uh, how this stuff works, and they are more than gracious to give their time to tell us what is actually happening. Um, So that's how I was able to meet Justin, and uh, there are a few other folks that I'm talking to right now. So I just give them a shout out, guys. Make sure that you support your local fire department. Make sure, um, especially if you're living here in California, these people are exhausted, okay? They're exhausted. They're fighting fires all the fucking time. And we need them, you know, whether we're worried about our air quality or whether we're worried about our house burning down. 
these people are very important to us. So please figure it out. Find a way to support your local fire department. Uh, we'll try to put some links below, um, but definitely show your support. Also, I want to thank the men and women that help make this show possible. I'm talking about the folks that are sponsoring the show. And as always, I want to thank the great team at Puget Systems. They are from Washington, and they have been dealing with fires of their own up there. That is like some of the worst air quality on the fucking planet has been up there, which is so ass backwards in our minds, right? Because normally you think, hey, let's go all the way out to Portland or let's go to Washington where the air is crisp and the, it's green and there's a lot of vegetation and there's amazing redwood forests. Uh, not recently. <laughs> uh, but let's take a second to thank the dudes and uh, ladies from Puget Systems. Thank you guys for supporting the show. And if you are somebody that is looking to build a new computer, maybe you're a video editor, you're a photographer, uh, you're someone that is doing graphic design, and your old system, by old system, I mean the system you bought three years ago from a very expensive fucking like company, manufacturer, maybe Apple, uh, is giving you the pinwheel of death. It isn't running fast enough. And the gear that you have purchased prior to this is disposable. It isn't built to be upgraded. Remember those little trash cans? What the fuck do you do with that? It's ironic that we call it trash cans because that's ultimately where it ends up, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So if you are looking for a new machine, I suggest you look into PCs. And I know saying PC for a lot of people is a danger word. PCs crash, they're unstable. Now, guys, come on, this isn't the early 90s. PCs are stable, as stable as uh, Apple's are. And at this point, um, you can build them cheaper, you can actually uh, upgrade them easier, uh, and you can specifically put the hardware in it that you need. So. One of the great things about building a PC is that there's a highly competitive world out there as far as hardware manufacturers are concerned. So you can look for the best deal, the best price, and actually put that hardware in that has been tested on the software that you're going to use. I'm a firm believer of needing equipment. We've been talking about it on the show about firefighters. You need the gear to do the job. The gear doesn't control these guys. You're not hearing firefighters getting cornered in and saying, if you're not running a still fucking chainsaw, you're not a real firefighter, right? Only in our business does that happen, where it becomes brand name control. You don't need that. I found a company that builds amazing computers. Now, they don't manufacture parts. They just build computers. This company is called Puget Systems. One of the great things about what they do is they'll put together a machine that fits your needs. So you can go to PugetSystems.com. Choose a machine based upon the software you use. They will suggest baseline packages that then are ready to be customized. And these guys want to hear from you. They want to hear what you need. They want to hear what you want to build. They want to hear about the problems that you have with prior systems. They're consistently testing and beta testing hardware and testing it out on, uh, on software that we use and trying to deal with the onslaught of updates that software puts out. How often do you get an update on your software package and suddenly your hardware is not working well? These guys are figuring all that stuff out. Uh, and as always, what would the show be without my friendly landscaper? Here we go. He's here. It doesn't matter what fucking day of the week I do this show. I'm recording this on Monday. I record this on Thursday. I record this on Wednesday. He's here every time. I appreciate it. 
Uh, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> so go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. Also supporting us, as always, are the guys from Quasar Science. The best advancement in the movie business over the past 5, 10 years has been lighting. We've seen it. When you watch Netflix, you look at how amazing the shows look, uh, how awesome the cinematography is. It is because of LED lighting. LED lighting has not only created a beautiful colored images, but it also changes the economics behind lighting packages, how big your crew needs to be, all that stuff, because they don't require a lot of power, which is super cool. They have a very low footprint. They don't require much gear, so you can fit it in your car, and you can do some magical, amazing things with LED lights. You don't believe me? Go to quasarscience.com and check out their new tech um, and a lot of folks ask me, Mike, what do you have in your light kit? Quasar tubes are there. I'm actually lighting this week. I will be working on a music video this week and half my package are Quasar tubes. I'm using some of the RGB tubes and I'm using some of the bicolor tubes as well. So very cool stuff. Go check them out. They support the show as always, Quasar Science. And finally, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. We're going to, I think it's going to be up there by the time the show comes out. You can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, Liam's going to be uh, uh, spearheading this. We're going to try to put out a newsletter that all not only tells about the new episodes, but also talks about listeners, talks about what our guests have been doing. Uh, it'll be a good place, good resource for you guys. Um, also, we'll be having uh, hopefully contests and giveaways, all sorts of stuff. So go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you could also listen to shows. If you're a newcomer to the show and you just came on board, because I'm sure we're going to get a lot of new folks with a firefighter episode. Um, we interview all sorts of folks on the show. A lot of people that work in the entertainment business, but we also do some really great food and chefs episodes and musician episodes as well. So if you go to In Love With The Process, there we've curated the episodes based upon subject material. We make it very easy for you to choose your episode based upon what it is that you want to listen to. And I know you're going to get fucking hooked. I mean, who else does a show with a lawnmower in the background? All right, let's get back to it. to Los Angeles about a year ago. So first time I've ever been here. I'm from the East Coast, Boston. Uh, and so California is completely different landscape-wise, weather-wise, all that sort of stuff. And it and just living in, in Los Angeles, I've just been trying to get used to like how if I drive five minutes in one direction, it's like 30 degrees hotter. <laughs> so it's like this weird temperature thing that happens out here. And I remember when we first came last year, Everybody was like, it never rains. You're never going to see any rain. And then we got hit hard. I think we had like 10 days of solid rain that happened in December. And I remember driving after that, driving down the highway and looking up and the, and the hills were all completely green. And so in my mind, I was like, well, maybe this will help the fires because we had all this rain this year. Um, and <clears throat> maybe that will... And being an uneducated moron, I was like, maybe because we had rain, we wouldn't have as big as fires. And then we had ridiculous fires this year because of that. 
And is, do you think that's just because the vegetation grew in and then immediately dried out? Because I saw it dry out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that, and that, that's a joke that we have. Uh, you know, you always have people because they want to know, hey, what's fire season going to be like? Uh, the first thing I say is I can't predict fire season. Right. Um, and I, and I joke and I give them the, the political or the more, uh, textbook answer as well. You know, it may be bad because we had so much rain, the veg, like you said, the vegetation we got, it's, it's more dense. It grew taller. The grass is taller. Mm-hmm. Um, it only rained, like you said, those 10 days it dumped, but that's right then. So that's a saturation of those 10 days. Well, in April, We'll say uh, March, April, May, you didn't have any rain. So all that rain in December, it may have filled up some areas a little bit, like reservoirs and stuff. But as far as the vegetation, it's already drying out. Yeah. Um, we need that sustained, consistent rain that we used to get. Um, you know. So, yeah. So I, I don't predict fire seasons. Everyone's <laughs> going to be the worst. Uh, right. And then I'd, I'd say since 2016, I'd always tell the guys to be on a, on a campaign fire, a large fire. And I'd be like, "Hey, you need to you need to remember this because this is this is a career fire." Well, I think in 2018, by by the campfire, it was like my fourth career fire that season. God, uh, I stopped saying this is a career fire because it, right now, the way it seems, almost uh, I'm going to go to a few of those every year, and uh, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, those a career fire used to be like a once in a career, one in a 30 year career. You could say. I was at that fire and it was insane. And now it's like, oh, I was at that one last month. Crazy, dude. So let's go back to Santa Cruz, right? So let's go back to this fire that we were talking about. And um, now we talked prior to this, you're, you're a battalion chief, correct? Is that the deal? Yes. So basically explain to the audience, like what is, what is it that you do specifically? Uh, so I promoted to battalion chief. Uh, I, it's a little over a year now. Um, so I was a fire captain before that. You know, you go through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so fire chief, I'm in charge of a battalion. And a battalion, again, is like a it's a geographical area. And then I have several stations under my, uh, I guess you'd say, command. So I'm in charge of making sure those stations um, are, are functioning and, and ready to work. So I have... Uh, fire captains that work below me. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so I tell them, you know, I give them the plan. This is what we need to do for the year. This is, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, general routine maintenance stuff um, from project work. Like when we're, we're thinning out, um, we're doing vegetation management, we're doing control burns. They're still going to call. So if they get a structure fire uh, or, or, a, or a vegetation, a wildland fire, they go to that, and then I, I also respond with them. And so the idea is, as as the battalion chief, I'm the IC, the incident commander. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I I will take charge of the scene, and 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 run it from from basically from my vehicle, so that my captains and engineers and firefighters can do the tactics of it. And they can fight the fire, and I'm looking at the strategy, the objectives, what we need to do, how to contain it. And so I, I take that off their back. And then I look at, you know, I'm looking at ordering, how many resources do I need? Do I need more resources? So I'm, I'm the organization of the incident. Right. Right. But the, the long story short is I'm in charge of a couple stations, um, of a geographical area. And that's to make sure that, that we're ready to fight fire. 
So <clears throat> being in that strategic position, I'm happy to have you on the show because we can talk more about strategy on this stuff. So if you go to uh, like a wildlife fire like this, they must increase in size ra- like rapidly, right? Is it, is it, do they grow quickly? So, so that's, that's the thing. So typically like it depends on the area you're in and the vegetation again. So, you know, of course, grass fires, they take off uh, with any bit of wind uh, instantly and they, and they grow rapidly. And then where I'm at now, I'm up in the Humboldt area. So it's redwoods again. Mm-hmm. Um, we get, we get influence. Um, those tend not to get, to get large fast. Well, three days ago we had a hundred acre fire. That's unheard of for this time of year up in Humboldt. Wow. Uh, typically, typically you'd expect a two acre, three acre fire. Um, you know, we have a, a very narrow several week burn, burn period where things can get crazy. And if we make it through that, we're, we're pretty protected up here, but yeah, um, uh, the last couple years, uh, it seems like you get, you go to a fire, um, and I'm not speaking for, for Humboldt specifically, but I go to another area. We'll say, we'll say Redding, for instance, you go to Redding mm-hmm. and you go to that first fire and it's reported being like five acres. And it used to be, I don't want I don't even want to say it used to be, you get to that five acres and yeah, we have spread rates that we, that we know about from our training. So that's how we give a size up on on conditions. So I want to paint you a picture and I'm painting that picture to dispatch so they can, they get an idea of what I'm seeing, you know? So I, you know, I, I roll up, I tell them, Hey, I've got uh, five acres, critical rate of spread, imminent thre- uh, structure threat, mm-hmm. start evacuations, all things you're thinking of that you, that you have to get, you know, you're, you're planning for, you're looking ahead. I have to try to be, think ahead of the fire, where can I stop it at? But yeah, these fires now that we used to be, you know, you could say, yeah, it's, it's, it's only moving moderately. It seems like every fire we go to now is either a, a, a dangerous or critical rate of spread. And that means you're not going to be able to offensively attack this fire. You're going to immediately go into a defensive mode hmm. and you're going in for looking for, I mean, you're looking, there used to be, you went straight to the fire and you attacked it. And now we're seeing these fires where you go straight to, I'm not going to start to attack this fire. I have to get everyone out of here now. And my first thought is evacuations. Yeah. And you worry about attacking the fire later because I need to get people out because I don't want people to die. And so, yeah, so the last two years, it just seems like everything goes from, we're not slow, moderate rate of spread. It's uh, dangerous, critical. And those are, I mean, to give you an idea, critical would be, I'm looking at a fire that's moving 300 feet per minute. Wow. Wow. That's so crazy. That's so crazy to see it. And at that point, it's a beast. You know, at that point, it's it's a living creature that is just like making its way across and eating everything that it, that it crosses. It's, it's pretty crazy, man. And then, yeah, and, and, and to be honest, it's, it's disheartening. Uh, when you roll up, you get a sense of, you know, the whole point, the whole, the whole point of, I don't know, like we said, the reason I, I want to do this is you want to help someone. You want to, you want to stop whatever's causing the grief or causing the fire causing mm-hmm. you want to stop it. And then you feel like, yeah, I did my job. And the last few years you get to that fire and immediately it blow, we call it, it blows up because you can't, you can't stop it. You can't control it. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we've been trained to do is I'm going to, I'm going to get on this. I'm going to contain it. I'm going to control it. I'm going to take care of it. And, and you get to it and you're like, it's gone. And that, that right there is fatiguing. And, and uh, it's, it's one of those where you're just like, Oh man, another fire is taking off again and it's, it's getting homes. Like, 
Yeah, right, right. So you just wanted to stop. Well, so typically, <clears throat> prior to this this angry beast that seems to be consuming everything, what was your method for uh, containing a fire like that? Well, the methods don't haven't changed. I mean, you know, we're still we've got our you know the aircraft with the fire retardant, the mm-hmm. copters with the, with the buckets of water, uh, the ground crews. You got your hand crews. I mean, dozers, whatever. I, I go on and on. Dozers, engines. You got all that. All that. None of that has changed. It's how we attack it has changed. You know, it used to be. I'm gonna stop saying that. You would roll up on an incident, and you know which we still do this. You roll up on an incident and you have to anchor, you have to find an anchor point that you make so the fire can't get behind you. So if it gets behind you. Then you're uh, screwed. Then you're trapped in it, right? Yeah, you're trapped. You can get burned. And all the work that you've done, uh, you've just lost. You've expended all that energy for nothing. So you really want to make sure you have, and then that's like, I mean, day one uh, teachings of a new firefighter, like on a veg- on a wildland fire. You have, Make your anchor point start from there. So your engine starts your anchor point, and the captain or the operator says right flank, left flank. And so automatically you know, okay, we're going to take the hose, and we're going on, we'll say right flank, right side. And you just take that hose all the way till you can wrap around that fire and come back mm-hmm. to your anchor point, and now it's contained. And, that, and that, that's the simplest basic way to say, you know, you start at one point, or if you have enough resources – you start one on the right and one on the left and you pincer it or you, you pinch it off and you, you attack the fire from both flanks till you come around the head of the fire. Um, but the way things are now, the fires are moving so fast and growing so large. We don't have enough resources or people to, to do it. It's, 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 it's impossible. It's insane. I remember I saw a photograph. I was looking at some photographs of some of the, the firefighters out there working on, on these insane, like huge, huge, huge fires. And I remember, and this is how little I knew about the tools that you guys use. I remember looking at this photo of this guy driving a bulldozer into a fire, essentially. And it, it was like, all right, because you guys aren't just using hoses, especially if you're getting into deep into the woods. You guys aren't just using hoses for this stuff. You're clearing land so that it doesn't burn, Correct. Yeah, I mean, if you want to think uh, archaic, the, the the basic thought is you need to make dirt. So we, uh, down to bare mineral soil, fire can't burn dirt. So you have to scrape, cut away to get to that dirt. And once you get to that dirt, the fire essentially should stop where you've, where you've cut or scraped that line. So yeah, so bulldozers make a much larger line than, say, a hand crew. Yeah. But uh, like anything... Equipment can only go so far. It can only go to certain spots. Um, so a lot of times you'll see like with the forest service, you got your hotshot crews. Mm-hmm. Um, with us, we have, you know, our inmate crews and now we have our firefighter one hand crews. Um, it's, it's the hand crews that they're doing that. And you have, it's called a Pulaski. It's got one end of cutting in one end of grubbing. And it looks like a, an ax head with a little, like you could, called a, a hoe, mm-hmm. you know, to scrape. And that's, that's one of the tools, Pulaski. Another one would be, you know, you're in a cloud or a shovel and that's all you're doing at a chainsaw. And you're just cutting that vegetation away, scraping down to that, that bare mineral soil to stop that fire. And I mean, and, and, the, and the people and the, and the equipment is, is for miles. I mean, it's crazy how far, you know, you'll, you'll go 
to do that. And that's, that's the most basic way to, you know, you're trying to stop that fire spread. That's insane. It's like, it's, it's like being, it's, it's like being a landscaper under stress at that point where it's just like, get the chainsaws and let's try to cut the stuff away before it burns. That's insane. And, right. and, and that's the thing, like with, you know, we have all this high tech, great equipment with the air tankers and all that. And, and, and we all help each other. One cannot work without the other. You know, it's not like, Oh, the, the tanker saved the day or this saved the day. It's like, it's all working together that saves it. An air tanker, you can do that drop and that might slow the spread, mm-hmm. but it's not going to stop the spread. You still need that, that hand crew or the fire engine to go in there and spray it with water and cut that hand line or that line, scrape that line in there to make sure the fire will stop at, at the dirt. And I've seen videos of how you guys cut those, how, how, how the lines are cut. It's pretty intense. Cause you, you are talking about, you know, essentially hoeing out a section for miles. So you guys just do a lineup, right. And, and then slowly work like one guy starts a cut and then the next guy finishes. And you guys are just doing like this method that allows you to go further and far distance with it, as opposed to being like a one man that's just shoveling out a ditch for the whole thing. Correct. Right. Right. So it's, it's a hand line and you're putting in a hand line. And so typically you could have, you know, like when I was on hell attack, that's all we did. You, you, you put in hand line, scratched line, and there was a crew of six of us. So it's a lot narrower line just for initial attack primarily to try to stop that fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get your hand crews, um, their initial attack, but they're also looking at, they're going to be there a while. So they're putting in, you're supposed to, you, we have all these, you know, equations and mathematical figures. And so your hand line is supposed to be uh, one and a half times the fuel height. So, you know, you think about, we'll just say grass is three feet. You want to have a, a hand line that's like primarily eight feet wide. You and know? when you say, when you say a hand line, just for the audience, that's essentially the ditch that you're digging. So that's the, the path that you're clearing of all vegetation down to the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like picture taking a, a hoe and a rake <laughs> I don't want to say a rake because you're not using a rake, a hoe yep. and you're scraping down to dirt. And that, that line is that width. So we'll say typically for the grass, it'd be a three foot wide bare mineral dirt line that you scraped. God and damn. so, and so instead of one person taking that full three feet, they'll take maybe, I don't know, we'll say a foot or, you know, they scrape one foot and then the guy, the person, the firefighter next to them takes another foot. And you keep doing that, and if you have a, a crew, you eventually, essentially, get to that that width that you need. And then, how yeah. how, how long do these lines usually go for? <laughs> as long as the fire is. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, that's it. Miles. They go for miles. So I mean, sometimes you just stop where you're at, sleep for a few hours, eat some food that you have in your pack. You got a lunch, you know, a lunch sack. Eat your sandwich. And then once you get a few hours of sleep, you get back up and you just keep going. You just, you just keep, keep going. Your shoulders and your, you, like your upper body must be killing you after hours of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the fatigue and just wanting to stop. I mean, that was the biggest thing I noticed when I was, when I was cutting hand line is you don't have that hose with you. You don't have a water line with you. It's just your tool, the dirt, and you're right up against the edge of the fire. So it's hot. Yeah. It's hot. You got dirt, dust in your mouth, you know, you're fatigued. You just, you know, you just want to stop. It's like, you don't have that choice. 
I mean, I guess you do, and then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the job, but. <laughs> well, no, uh, but still like, look, I, I mean, I, I suffer from asthma, so I've always had asthma and breathing problems. So moving out here to California, especially during this fire season has been so intense as far as breathing is concerned. And you guys are there breathing that shit in all the fucking time. Like I, I don't, I don't know how you guys handle it as far as like lung capacity is concerned. And, and like, you guys must be dealing with smoke inhalation problems all the time out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the carbon monoxide, the fatigue that you get just from the, from the smoke that we're in and the inversion of, of, uh, I say inversion where you could be on a fire and you could be outside of that fire area and your smoke is bad and hazy, you know, if it's the town next to the fire. But in that fire, sometimes you'll get an inversion, and that inversion is just a pocket of air that stays over the fire, mm-hmm. uh, cooler and warmer air in the way that the uh, weather is, is working. And it'll trap that air. Essentially, I say trap. It just it holds that smoke in there with you. So you're in a – it's more dense. And so you're just in that constantly. Man. Um, and then you think about every day, you're just back on the line. So – you never get that break from the exposure. Um, and so we are seeing, um, you know, my own friends, I've had a couple pass away with cancer. I've got a few that just found out they have cancer. Uh, it's from just breathing, it's breathing in all that bad, that bad air, you know? And, and we laugh when, and I shouldn't say we laugh, but you'll hear like, Oh man, it's so smoky. This is before coronavirus and everything with masks. But mm-hmm. we see someone with a mask and you'd be like, that guy's got a mask on and it's not even that bad. Well, you know, th- looking back now <laughs> to them, it's really bad air to us. We're like, that's a good air that you're breathing right there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, and I'm a barbecue guy. So I spend hours smoking meats. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you yeah. go through the process of going, we're going to get that perfect smoke ring. I guarantee you cut your arm open. You guys got a pink smoke ring. in there. <laughs> 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 With the amount you know, of- and, and, and that's the thing is a lot of people, I still have friends ask me and, I'm, and I, I try not to look at them like what, but you're like, they don't know because they don't do the job. We don't have breathing protection. We don't have masks. We don't have filters that we wear. We don't have air packs. The air pack is for a structure fire. So when we're out there, we're just breathing in that smoke, you know? Um, is there a reason, think, is there a reason why ahead. you guys don't have that kind of gear? <laughs> yeah, it's money. Oh, those fucking assholes. <laughs> yes, it's always money. Always yeah, money. No, no it's, it comes down to money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think when we were in the campfire, the smoke that we, you know, I think at that time, you know, uh, we had some of the worst air quality in the in the world was in paradise on the campfire. Mm. Uh, and we were there the first, we made it in there that first morning um, when the fire was hitting the town. And, and I was working in a different unit. I was working in Lassen Modoc land up in Susanville on a fire engine as a captain. And um, that was my hometown. So I, I felt it was different. It's different than going into an area that you're not, you don't have a connection to. Um, but just breathing in that smoke, they say that that first 48 hours that we worked, I mean, the amount of smoke that we took in is is the the accumulation of a career that someone else may have had. And that was in two days. And we're going to fires like this more and more every year. So, I mean, the amount of exposure and toxins that we're getting, um, it's not good. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Well, you know what it is? It's, it, there isn't, a, there isn't money to be made. 
You know what I mean? Like you, you hear, and you know, I, I, I try not to get political on this show, but you hear comments from, from our fucking president. Who's like, look, the reason why there are fires out there is because there are people aren't out there fucking sweeping the, the forests. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, okay. We need bigger, bigger brooms. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, there is the theory that you should be clearing away brush and doing controlled fires and that stuff, but that costs money. And so for you to just make a statement like that, and then apparently they're cutting funding to the, the, the fighting fires out here in California. It's just like, it makes no fucking sense. And, and then when you look at it, you go, ah, but there's no money to be made. Like it, it would be different if you were cutting down lumber trees that they could actually process into wood and be, be, be doing that. But you guys are clearing like a lot of brush and shit, which is useless as far as cash is concerned. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great way to put that. Yes. What are you going to do with the brush? Hopefully it burns, right? <laughs> right. Like, what are they going to do with it? And so, so yeah, so you, so usually when we, when we do the vegetation management like that, um, yeah, we'll, we'll windrow it, we'll pile it. And then for the winter time, that can be projects for, for hand crews and stuff, or even engine crews. Uh, you know, we'll try to do, we'll try to burn piles in the winter time, but yeah, there's no money in making a pile and burning it. Right. And then what are you supposed to, <laughs> you know, a lot of these fires are happening up in the mountains out here. So what are you supposed to do? Just send crews up into the mountains and have them rake the forest? <laughs> well, and that, I mean, and, that, and that's the thing. We, uh, that comment is just an uneducated comment. Um, we have um, vegetation management programs, actually the Cal Fire Forest Service, we all participate in. Um, and, and everything can be, can be better. I mean, there, there's no doubt with that. But mm -hmm. you can't you can't pinpoint one exact thing and say that's why this is happening. But we we are working. Um, you know, like like I said, for my battalion, as soon as fire season's done, which I, who knows when that's going to be, mm -hmm. um, then we go into vegetation management projects (VMP) uh, that we do all winter. And so when they're not going to medical aids and car accidents and structure fires, <laughs> they're clearing brush and trying to make fuel breaks and try to thin out that vegetation. So when we do get a fire, it doesn't, it doesn't get as big as quickly. Well, let me just say this for you. That's a very polite way of saying <laughs> when we're not doing our fucking job, like we're going and raking the forest. It's, it's, it's asinine to me that if, if we examine this thing and we go, look, fires are burning faster. Fires are burning hotter. Like you've talked about how you've seen a change in the winds. I mean, it just seems like no matter how wide of a ditch you're digging to stop a fire, if those winds are whipping through, then it's just jumping those ditches, correct? And then the fire is continuing at that point. You're correct. Man, I'm not getting scientific here because I'm not a scientist. No, you're, dude, you don't need to be a scientist. You're someone that's but, working on the field. So just Yes, yeah. yes. When you have, it doesn't matter how wide, I, I got a perfect example and I, and I thought about this because I had a, I had a comment made to me and I, it, it stuck a, a, a nerve in me. So during the campfire in paradise, mm -hmm. uh, a house was saved, thankfully, one of the few homes. And uh, the comment was like, well, we had great, great structure. Uh, we had, you know, defensible space. That's what saved the house. And I looked at him and I said, no, <laughs> come on, man. And I, and I was pretty, pretty disgruntled at that point, seeing, seeing my old, my old hometown burn. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it wasn't your defensible space. I'm all Safeway parking lot <laughs> is eight times larger than your defensible space. And the entire strip mall and Safeway burned down. It had concrete around it. I go, you don't get any more of a better defensible space than, you know, a hundred acres of asphalt and concrete. Right. Um, and yeah, when the wind's cooking and it can carry embers and I mean, it just, it, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to stop it. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. It, it's fascinating. Look, I'm happy that dudes like you exist and that you guys, you guys, you guys seem to like this. <laughs> it's like, I always say to my brother all the time, I'm like, man, it's such a thankless fucking job, uh, to, to be working for, uh, as a firefighter oftentimes and to be in public service a lot of the time, because it just seems like when, when you're needed, then everybody's like, Hey, look, Let's give them the funding. Let's give them everything they need. And then as soon as things quiet down, the first thing that most, uh, at least back in the East Coast, first thing a lot of towns would do is just cut resources to the fire department. Do you really need a new engine? Do you really need new gear? Do you really need this stuff? And <laughs> how do you explain to these people, like, do you really need this stuff? <laughs> it isn't necessarily, do I need it? It's whether or not I'm going to save you, whether or not I'm going to save your house, whether or not I'm going to save this area. Uh, it's it's just crazy to me. <laughs> and it's very short-sighted. It always seems to be incredibly short-sighted when it comes to budgeting for these things and the understanding of these things. And I think that's kind of what I want to do with this show. And I'm going to do a few episodes with firefighters because... I feel like folks just need to understand what it is that you guys do for real. Because most of the time, people are like, okay, so he gets to drive around, he runs through lights, he's got a siren. And then they just assume that as soon as the truck shows up, it's full of water and you spray the water everywhere and then the fucking fire goes out. Like that, that that's pretty much how people process it. And they don't realize that fire is incredibly dangerous. And I think, I think it's because we're so used to having it, right? Like we have barbecues, we have grills, we have candles, you have a gas stove. You're used to just sort of managing this beast. But if any of you listening have ever had anything catch fire, if you've ever had a candle catch fire on your drapery in your house, the speed, everybody's always so astounded at the speed that that something can be consumed by flames, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and to go back from where you started, uh, we actually took a pay cut uh, at the beginning of this fire season. So, um, again, as my job is to keep morale, morale high, as we say with our troops, with my crews, uh, it's tough because you're like, Hey, I know you just took a pay cut. We all did, but the fire is going to, you know, and sure enough, within a week, Hey, we're going out of County. They're not seeing their family for 40 days, sometimes longer. I mean, uh, and you're just like, how are we supposed to, yeah, you, we can't give you that new engine or another engine because of budgetary cuts. And you're like, but this is not, it's not going away. It's getting, it's getting worse. Um, right. Right. How do we handle uh, I, the, And to get one of the things that kills me, uh, it's, it's so frustrating, uh, when you roll into a fire and you're trying to evacuate and help people save their lives and, when you get that pushback, I'm fine. I've seen this before. Uh, I'm staying. And it's like, you know, and there's been a few times, very few in my career. I'm always maintain 
professionalism and integrity. But there's a few times, and I think it's the only way it gets gets across to some people is when you're like, look, you're going to fucking die. If you don't leave right now, you're going to fucking die. Yeah. And uh, it, it it just sucks when you when you when you try to tell someone, "Hey, I'm the professional here. This is actually what I do for a living. This is a bad spot that we're in." And when you're like, "Nope, I'm good. I'm gonna stay," you're like, "You're you're just asking." And that's the thing, I, I guess, from going is you get that in the beginning, and then when someone, <laughs> thankfully, we've been able to save, uh, I've been able to save people in the past. Uh, where they realize, oh my God, I had no idea. And you're like, that's what I was telling you. Right, right. And and also, listen to what I'm saying because I don't want to have to come back here because you're going to you're going to need me to come back here. Like I'm I'm going to be the guy that comes back here to try to rescue you from your own stubbornness. Right. And now you're you're putting my right my life and my crew that I'm supposed to protect. They have to make a decision of what they're going to do now. Are they going to go back in? And try to save that person that wouldn't leave. When if they would have just left, that wouldn't be an issue. It's crazy. I, a buddy of mine is a firefighter down in Detroit, and when Detroit was having its rough time years ago, I remember there was a uh, incredible cuts, and so there were entire neighborhoods that weren't able to be protected by the fire team, fire crews, and so for you to live in those areas, I I don't know whether or not you had to sign something, but they were would literally come through and say, if you stay here. There is no fire service. There's there's no one that's going to come through and do this sort of thing. And that's crazy, dude. It's insane, dude. And and when you, I think at the end of the day, you're dealing with how people handle handle stress and handle shock and handle tragedy, and it's it's all part of that psychological process for folks. You know, like I mean, how many? I mean, I wasn't. I really didn't pay attention to coronavirus until right before. And before that, like part of my, def- my defense in the beginning was like, mm, this stuff has existed forever and they're just making a big deal over it. And it isn't until you start to see, it isn't until you start to see that effect come in there that you're able to let that into your brain and go, Oh, okay. This is a real fucking deal. Like I gotta, I gotta process this. Um, so I can only imagine, like at that point, you're just, you're acting almost as a therapist. It's like a, as a tough love therapist where you're in there going like, your house is going to fucking burn, man. Like, yeah, like yeah. I'm here to deliver that bad news. Your shit's going to burn. You got to get that. You got to get out of here, you know? Um, super fucking scary, man. And the, as a side note, I was talking to somebody, I think it was prior to COVID. I was sitting in a bar having a conversation with this guy. And one of the things I miss is that I miss that social exchange where you can go sit at a bar and turn to a stranger and hear their stories. And it seems like out here in California, everybody's got a wild story and something to talk about. And I was chatting with this guy and he was telling me about one of the wildfires and he had a, he had a place, I forget exactly where it was, but he had a place that burnt. And he said that the fire was so intense. He said that he had like a cast iron, I think it was like a cast iron tub or something. And it was, it, it was, it was put into ash. Like it burnt that hot. He's like the, the temperature in that place just destroyed everything. And it just, it just doesn't occur to you. It doesn't occur. You're like, okay, so there's a fire and the tree's going to burn and the leaves going to burn. People like burn leaves all the time. It's not a big, it, it turns into an, like a raging inferno and a furnace. And this is where you guys are working all the time. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane yeah. to me. It's insane, and the and the fact that even for a hot second, you you guys are dealing with cancers 
and you guys are dealing with, with, with breathing issues and problems and the, okay, look, a lot of folks can go, look, you signed up for this job. That's what you wanted. You signed up for this job, but would you sign up for this job knowing that you'd get lung cancer? Would you ultimately sign up for this job knowing that you'd be away from your family for over a month, month and a half? fighting these fires and then on top of everything else, not have the gear that you need it. And then the fires continue because you don't have the equipment and the gear that you need. It's, it's just, it's insanity and it's, it's no one's problem until it is their problem. And, uh, I don't know, man. I just want to, I don't know how I go. I, I went off on a fucking rant there, <laughs> but you know, I just wanted to say before I forget, like I, I appreciate what you do, man. And I appreciate the work that you guys do because, you know, we had stressful fire issues cause I'm in Glendale. So we had fire right above us. I forget what they called it. I don't know if it was like the beaver fire or whatever. Was that a few, was that a few years back? No, we had a fire this year, like right above oh. us. So like okay. we had air quality readings out here at, we were at about 165 to one, 190 for, for air quality shit. And it's because this fire was just raging above us. And you sit there and you go, okay, so the fire department's out there, right? <laughs> like you don't know what the process is. And you're just crossing your fingers like, well, how long does it take them to put out a fire? This should have been out like two days ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like average Joe citizen just doesn't know, man. They have no idea that there are guys up there hoeing lines in the woods and hoping that the wind doesn't blow the, the ash over the work that they've done. There's a guy driving a bulldozer and there are whole teams of people out there with chainsaws cutting shit down. And there are pilots, you know, dumping. And, and I, I have to get a pilot on the show because I'm completely fascinated with how do you fly, how do you fly into the, those, those intense winds from the heat and the flames and shit like that. That must be incredibly dangerous, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're professional. What's that? I missed that second half there, but. Yeah, I mean that's they're the professional, you know. That's that's the, yeah, it's crazy. They've been trained to do. It's crazy. Well, we've been talking for quite some time. How are you on time? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, uh, we won't go much longer. Um, I've just got some other questions for you. Let me just make sure I haven't missed anything. This has been fantastic, by the way. Um, oh. Let me ask you this, because <clears throat> so I work in the obviously I work in the film business, and the the parallels that I can draw between the firefighting business and the film business is the time that's usually spent. I mean, we're not saving lives and we're not, we're not fucking rescuing people, but there a lot of times producers and productions run our jobs like we are, you know what I mean? So they're telling us like, you can't sleep. You got 15 hour days, no turnaround. You sort of running through all this stuff and it gets really intense. And one of the things I always joke about whenever I'm on a production is I get set dreams. I always call them set dreams which essentially is nightmares that are either uh, rotating around a rhythmic thing that I have to do on set every day or around fears that I have while I'm shooting. And I assume that you guys must have some crazy fucking dreams when you're fighting fires. Do you ever have nightmares about that stuff? Uh, I would say fortunately, um, I have not. Wow, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have those dreams where, you know, like, yeah, like maybe you're in a structure and you're trying to, you know, you're mopping it up or you're, you know, as I say it's a mop, it's like mopping up is like salvage overhaul. So the fire, the main fire is done. Mm -hmm. and you're trying to just uh, 
put out any smoldering or burning material, um, the threat, the main threat is gone. So like that or like fatigue type things where like, yeah, you're scratching line and you just can't, you're never going to get to the end of the fire yeah, um, like that. But thankfully I honestly cannot recall having like a nightmare. Like, you know, I wasn't going to make it out of something. Um, hopefully I don't have one now that you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded very well adjusted before you met me, my friend. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, man. Um, well is let's because I don't, I don't want to draw this out I think this has been so fantastic and the information that you've given me like I feel like I because I felt like I knew a little bit about it before I got into it uh, being that I have family members that are in the in, in it but I didn't and so I hope that uh, some of you guys listening at home really sort of get a, a larger appreciation for this um, is there anything that I haven't asked you, is there anything that, that you wish that the general public knew more about as far as like what you guys do or fire prevention or anything like that? Uh, I mean, you know, it could go, uh, on, on the biggest thing is we don't, we don't have enough, uh, people. I mean, that's the biggest thing. We need more firefighters. Uh, we need more positions that all comes from funding. We're trying, you know, I'm, I'm with our union and, and we, we really fight for that hard. That's a big, that just costs more money to have more people. But uh, the more people we have with the more equipment, um, better equipment, we can maybe make even more of a difference. Um, we already make a difference, but maybe we can make a, a bigger impact uh, quicker. But um, And that, that last one is, man, if you're told to get out of somewhere for evacuation, just leave. Nothing, I can't say this enough, nothing is worth dying for. Mm. not your not your life i mean you don't get that back um and and, and unfortunately a lot of people that want to just stick around don't realize that till it's too late um and they're in a bad spot that they may not get out of Just when you think you know something, you know, full disclosure, I try to do my research before I do one of these episodes, right? Because I feel like it's the polite thing to do for anybody that, that wants to go on the show. And it's the least I can do. Simple shit like do your research, you know? And I did a bunch of research on what a battalion chief does. And I was doing some research on how they fight fires, but I had no idea. I had no idea that uh, there's a change in the winds up there makes a lot of sense why they're spreading faster and why they're going further. And the other thing that kind of drives me crazy, and I think we got to it a bit on this show, and I think I'm going to have to do another one to get into it deeper, but it's just the definition, right, of what climate change is. Because we just hear this as like a hot word right now, right, or a hot statement. Climate change changes everything. Climate change. 
And you're like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Does that mean that the sun's super hot and it's just starting random fires? Right? Does that mean that it's like there's no more rains and no more water and that's starting the fires? It's all sorts of different small little elements that are adding up to a larger picture here. So when you look at both sides of the argument, if you could somehow find a way to distill your way through the political fucking bullshit that exists, especially during an election year, and you can distill your way through it, there's, there's a subtle truth on both ends of the spectrum, right? Fires are started because there are areas that have a lot of kindling that could be cleared. Well, we can't clear those areas unless we have financing to do so, right? And we have a uh, group of folks that are in uh, political uh, power right now that have cut the funding to do that stuff. So it's, it's mind-blowing when you can get on television and say, well, we need to clear the forests and we need to... This is because of bad forest management. Also, by the way, cut the funding. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of asinine. And then you have the other side who are so desperate to get into office and they're so desperate to unseat somebody and they're so desperate to do that that they start creating their own little fires. They start creating their own fucking crazy stories about how someone's an ecological fucking arsonist or whatever the term was. It's just like, how about we do what we did today? How about we sit down with a firefighter and we talk about what they're dealing with, right? Because now I bet you, you guys want to fucking get more money towards your fire department, correct? I, I know I do, right? You want to support these guys. And like they said on the show, like he said on the show, and like I said, you aren't calling the fire department to come over and have cheeseburgers, right? You're not like, hey, there's a barbecue, fellas. Come on over here and do this shit. How often do you go down to your fire department and just bring them a six-pack of beer? Right? I mean, these guys are literally getting lung cancer for you. And why are they getting lung cancer? Because they don't have the gear. How crazy is that? How insane is that? We all love to live in this, this current state where we think we're doing things, right? I saw this thing online and I reposted and I posted a fucking graphic. We've all done it. I've done it. I posted this graphic, which means this, right? Firefighters are heroes after 9-11. They're heroes. They're the heroes out there. They're the heroes that do this sort of stuff. Great. But then we still cut their fucking funding. And then I don't cut their funding. You don't cut their funding. The people that are put into office cut their funding. And then we're sitting here going, well, why are our taxes still high and where's that money going? Right? Because that's where the cash comes from for these folks, right? Comes out of our taxes, our state taxes. It's crazy. And I get it. We're in a crazy economical state right now where we're all trying to figure out how we're going to make money and whether or not the economy is going to come back up. It's fine. And it would be different if we were living in a time period where it, it, shit wasn't burning, right? But it always seems like shit's burning, right? You, you have those assholes that decide that they're going to go out into a fucking grass area to do a goddamn Instagram post or a party and light off an explosive 
to decide whether or not their boy is going to be, or their child's going to be a boy or a girl. And then that fucking sets what kind of fucking fire? Right? And look, you can't, you can't blame them because they just don't know. What they do know is that this is a cute way to make me feel good. And so then you have these folks that go out there with these, what do you think? What do you think it does? If it's going to eject smoke in the air, colored smoke, it has some sort of ignition in there, right? It's explosive to a certain extent. So why would you put it? Oh, because it looks pretty, right? One of the biggest issues that a lot of our, uh, our parks, our national parks have right now, one of the biggest problems they have are Instagrammers, are people that want to trudge through vegetation that <laughs> is endangered, want to climb down cliffs and put themselves in danger to take the same shit, to take the same stupid fucking photograph, cut to how many thousands of fucking acres burned, right? So do yourself a favor, learn about this shit, understand how this shit works and try, 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 try to be just the slightest bit responsible with this because the truth of the matter is everything's incredibly flammable right now. Anyway, that was me being super serious. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Really? <laughs> Look at that transition. <laughs> Hope you guys are enjoying the show. I really like today's episode. Um, like I said, I think I'm going to try to get like one or two other firefighters on the show, different departments, just to sort of paint it out for us um, because I'm fascinated by it. That's it. Like there's no sponsorships here. There's no alternate reasons for me doing this. There's no political reasons for me doing this. And anything that I'm telling you in the show is me reacting to what I just fucking heard. So uh, I just want to, um, I, I just want to learn. And I'm going to use the show as a great reason for me to, to learn. And as a byproduct, you get to learn with me. Uh, so if you guys like it, please, like I said, follow me on Instagram, at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Listen to me talking about Instagram after I just gave a bunch of Instagram a shit. Listen, I'm using it as the only way to get your attention. So go there, write me a message. Let me know what you think about the show. Tell me I'm full of shit. It's fine. Um, and as always, let's wrap this show up, man. As always... Uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you next Tuesday.